Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. This is the beginning of a song called Gray, which was kind of a, a life-changing song that I wrote that bridged the gap between, um, you know, working with more with the band and doing a little bit more on my own. So I'll play you the first verse in the first chorus, maybe. Is that yeah. cool? Yeah. And down the stairs we went In the gray of a winter that wouldn't end An old black dog, bad hips and a cough Some days we'd have to carry him The last flight off Flashback to April of 01 I got him from the pound when he was young My ex-wife was there as I put him in the car But he was always mine right from the start He kept me in line When things were tough He was there all the time Now he's gray and can't hear a thing But I'll carry him up those stairs Again and again Well how do we say goodbye When we have the chance To write the last words Of a precious life oh, Well how do we know When to say goodbye I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Joe, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, well, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, you know, you uh, are one of our listeners who wrote in and you told me a little bit about what you do as a professional musician. But prior to being a professional musician, you're working as a, a paralegal, uh, <laughs> which I, I thought was a, a really sort of fascinating life transition and, and, and really interesting career in music, making a career of music in the current day and ages is something that I'm very intrigued by, especially having been a musician myself in high school. Uh, so I want to start with uh, a question that I, I found has been very revealing and interesting, and that is, what did your parents do for a living, and how did that end up impacting the choices that you've made with your life and your career? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, my, my dad, the primary part of his career uh, was in the life insurance business, mm -hmm. um, first uh, selling it and then training agents to sell it. And my mom, uh, both of them are actually musicians by education. Um, and so my mom taught piano out of the house when I was a kid, and she also did some um, some uh, re regular teaching. And then she actually wound up working as an executive assistant uh, in the life insurance business as well. So they, they both wound up in the life insurance business. So, I mean, how did that influence the choices that you made? Like, what impact yeah. did that have on you? 
Well, um, from a from kind of a, a worldview standpoint, I was always always interested in, I guess, uh, financial safety at first <laughs> um, and security, which is, you know, if you're going into a career in the music business is not what's happening for yeah. you. Um, uh, but it also showed me that you could pursue an education in the arts and uh, still find a career after that that wasn't necessarily connected with it, um, but stay involved in it. Because even though they both wound up in life insurance. Uh, my dad continued to play piano, which is his instrument. Uh, my mom continued to sing and, and do theater, and, and they still do. So I think I felt like there was a little less imperative in my education to find uh, a career in it, and I, I strove to instead try to broaden myself and go after things that, that interested me. Did you have this burning desire to be a musician ever since you were a kid? <laughs> yeah, I did. Um, I saw... Uh, you know, the turning point for me was seeing the Twisted Sister video, We're Not Going to Take It. Um, <laughs> you know, when you see that and you're a kid, that's that's pretty life-changing. Um, but I, I played, I started playing guitar when I was eight. Um, before that, I played a little piano. Okay. And, um, I mean, I didn't know what went into being a musician. I guess I knew what I saw. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I pursued, uh, you know, playing music and performing music and, and getting paid to perform music from the time I was in high school. So... I mean, were you one of these kids who was just always practicing in your your spare time and and you know spending every free moment you have playing? Um, you'd have to ask my parents, <laughs> but uh, but uh, you know I I did spend I, I guess the the two parts to that are I did spend a lot of time practicing uh, at first because I was made to, and then once I once I kind of found my own voice in music, um, I was you know I devour. Um, Led Zeppelin records and Jimi Hendrix records and Red Hot Chili Peppers records, like like a lot of people do. Yeah. Um, uh, but then also like a lot of my friendships were around music. So one of our you know social activities would be to just go in somebody's basement somewhere and jam and play and you know for hours. And there were always guitars at at our social gatherings and our parties. And so I I, I guess I got it uh, in in multiple ways and I stayed involved in multiple ways. Uh-huh. You know, the, the Twisted Sister moment, did your parents recognize that as, as something special? Um, I don't know if I told them, <laughs> but uh, I, I, think, I think I had an aptitude for it from the beginning. Um, and I was drawn in, you know, at first kind of by the spectacle of, of popular music. Um, but they, you know, I did actually start out as a classically trained guitar player which is about as far from Twisted Sister as you can get, <laughs> um, uh, which I, at the time as an eight-year-old, I, I fought. But, um, you know, as I became uh, first older and then involved in music professionally, the fact that I have this classical uh, background and classical knowledge and classical work ethic, I guess, uh-huh. uh, has been really important to me. So uh, their, their thing was always as long as you're playing, as long as you're practicing, it's, it's not, there's not a it's not a big deal what you're playing or practicing as long as you're doing it. So, yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that, that seems really interesting to me is that for so many of us, we miss those kinds of moments in life. And, and I'm curious, um, one, you know, it, is it possible to, to, you know, recognize those kinds of moments in our adult lives? And, and if so, you know, how do we bring them about? Yeah. Um, that's, I mean, that's a great question. And I, I you know, I think part of growing as a an adult for me has been, trying to identify them uh, in the actual moment and not after it's too late, you know, and, and tease out um, what it is I'm reacting to and how to integrate it into, into what I do um, kind of in real time. And uh, to me, that, that comes out of always challenging myself to, to be 
pushing in the discipline that I'm committed to, like music, but also looking for ways outside of that discipline um, to create the feeling of learning and the feeling of exploration. I feel like it all it all ties together as a complete human being. Mm. Wow. You know, I had a friend here uh, very recently whose interview, you know, for those of you listening, you'll have heard by the time this airs, uh, Tamsin Webster. And, you know, she uh, did a good amount of marketing for the Boston Conservatory of Music. And she said, you know, a lot of parents, when they have a kid who wants to per- potentially pursue a career in the arts, the the first obvious thought that comes to their mind is how is this kid going to make a living after pursuing something else? And I mean, I, I know that conversation incredibly well because it was the conversation I had with my dad when I got into the USC School of Music and he talked me out of going. Uh, mm. And he made a very convincing case. And, and, you know, I ended up going to Berkeley instead. I played the tuba for two more years, but that was the end of it. I haven't picked up the instrument since. Uh, so, I mean, I, I'm really curious what you'd say to parents who have kids who have aspirations to have artistic careers that don't necessarily come with a guarantee of financial security. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think I, it might have even been, uh, you know, on this podcast that somebody says there's this kind of illusion of security with yeah. a regular career. Um which I thought was really profound. And, you know, you're talking about degrees there, of course. I, I don't mean like college degrees, degrees of security. Um, I still think clearly there's a there's a uh, there's a more clear path in, in, in other industries and in, in other courses of your career. Um, but, you know, you live once. <laughs> um, do you want to do you want to look back and regret not at least trying in some sort of constructive way? Uh, to pursue something creative. And, and there are ways, I think, to do it that don't you don't expose yourself necessarily to, you know, full on catastrophic economic failure. Uh-huh. And as you're pursuing it, you're probably developing skills that are going to be transferable to other other careers. Uh, if if you have to if you have to bag it at some point and, and, and trade out for another career, uh-huh. if you're doing it right, you're going to have developed skills that can apply to all sorts of different things. Um, in particular, you know, entrepreneurship, um, uh, administrative skills, uh, personal skills, interpersonal skills, initiative. So I don't see it kind of as a, as an all or none, which may come out of how I, how I've pursued it. Sure. Um, um, but I don't, you know, everything's scary. <laughs> so, um, take a shot at it, but do it in a responsible way, I guess. Yeah. You know, um, I, I'm really glad you brought up skill um, and how, you know, it's not a lot of the things that you learn from this one particular skill translate into other areas of your life. Because, you know, I, I'm working on this section uh, of my book about deliberate practice. And, and I said, you know, right. the funny thing is where I learned about deliberate practice was actually from a ninth grade band director. <laughs> right. And the funny thing is everything he taught me, I still apply to this day as a writer. And yeah. I, I understood the power of consistency because of, of what he taught me. Um, and, it you know, it's, it's kind of mind blowing that it, it came full circle 20 years later. I'm curious, um, in your own life, what, uh, you know, this love for music has taught you about work ethic, what it's taught you about habits, what it's taught you about practice, and also how that's translated into other areas of your life. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I, you, you hit the nail on the head, which is uh, discipline is a transferable skill. And the when you, uh, when you go through the process of learning how to do something both kind of in, in specific segments. So, you know, learning a piece or, or learning um, a song or just the general act of building your skill and your discipline, you understand that as, as dark as a process might get for you, if you keep doing it, at some point you will come out the other end better. And it may not be as good as you want or uh, necessarily as uh, um, having improved at the thing you set out to do exactly, 
but there's a power to the linear practice of just doing it every day. I think that's like the, the most transferable skill to anything. Um, and it's funny because you, so you asked like what other parts of my life I can apply that to. Uh, about eight years ago or so, nine years ago, I got into a very amateur uh, distance running and triathlon uh, training and um, got kind of obsessed with it. And uh, about, let's see, six, six years ago, I did my, uh, my first and only to this point Ironman triathlon. And there is something about just getting up and doing the training and moving forward. Uh, regardless of the quality of how you feel and how your training is, that is like you'll you'll get to your goal, and it might not be as fast as you want it to get there, but if you keep moving forward, you will eventually succeed at it. There's a um, there's a saying that I really like, which is that the two keys to success are starting and not stopping, and I think that's that's it. And you learn that in practice, which is just keep doing it, keep. Um, you know, be as regimented as possible, be as goal oriented, but you know, there, there's no such thing really as a bad practice as long as you did it. <laughs> I don't know if that was your experience, oh, you know, yeah. too, but, but it's like doing the thing is the important thing, you know? And that's my experience with writing. I mean, I, you know, people are always shocked. I tell them 80% of the days that I write, everything I write is complete shit. But the thing yeah, is, only, I do it only so 80%. often, <laughs> you know, that the 20% that is usable makes it into books. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I try to, I try to apply that kind of um, the confidence that just showing up and doing the work yeah. and that could be inter- that can be interpersonally and that can be in something like um, almost silly or, or not that important, but something that can really frustrate you. Mm-hmm. Um, if you just keep doing it, you'll see improvement. You'll get to the thing uh, that, you, that, that you'll get to something. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, you know, in my mind, there's this post that's been brewing in my head, you know, idea for a piece I want to write titled, you know, creative confidence is the result of creative habits. Um, that's totally. just, you know, the, the reality of it. It doesn't, you know, you don't wake up one day and suddenly find yourself inspired. But you know, one thing I'm really curious about, um, also mainly because I need another example for my book and you've just given me one, um, <laughs> is how, uh, being a runner has impacted your creative practice. Um, and, and, you know, what you draw from it, what it does for you, because, this is another pattern that I seem to keep finding with people who are highly creative. They all have some physical activity that is, you know, almost an obsession um, right. that really fuels their creativity. So I am very curious um, how running impacts uh, your music. Uh, well, it, I guess in two ways. First of all, the, the discipline part that we talked about. Yeah. Um, you know, I wasn't I was an okay athlete, I guess, mm-hmm. um, and kind of an okay runner when I started, but um, I certainly wasn't a natural at it. And I certainly had my really frustrating struggles because I, I don't, you know, my goal is not to win the Boston Marathon or even qualify for it. But I do want to, if I'm racing against myself, keep keep improving. You know, that's a that's a, a personal goal for me and keep feeling like I'm doing better at it. And um, so being kind of almost a beginner or a starter at something when you're an adult, I think, is really important. A better example of that for me is when I started swimming in 2009, I couldn't even swim a lap. I mean, I felt like. I felt like an elephant in the water. Actually, elephants are probably better swimmers. It was, it was awful. I've never been, I have not been that much of a beginner at something since I was probably five years old, you know? Um, so that beginner feeling that I got from running and swimming was really important to me to, um, uh, as a person. And then, um, as physiologically for me, a lot of my best creative thinking and kind of creative problem solving happens when I get to a place, uh, with exercise 
where I can really let go of uh, whatever's keeping me back from finding the solution. Um, and a lot of times that's about creating some sort of uh, pain or some sort of discomfort to, to distract my kind of rational brain from obsessing about something. And when I let that go, um, I can find a solution that may have been right in front of my face, but uh, you know, I was blind to it. So I, so I think it kind of serves like a, a model for me, but also a, a real functional physical um, role in, in how I create, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the interesting thing about physical activities is this sort of shutting off of the, the rational mind. I mean, yeah. know, my ideas almost always come from time in the water. Like when I'm stuck, I'm kind of like, okay, it's been three days since I've been out of the water. That explains yeah. a lot. Yeah. Oh, totally. And, um, you know, it's like this, this thing of getting your brain to a place where it's just existing and it's not casting judgment, you know, and it's not, um, throwing up walls for you, whether it's writing a song or like, a, a you know, a part of your, your, the business side of your career that, that you're trying to work through as a musician. Yeah. If you can just get your brain to a place where it's kind of taking an existence, um, and I think I think they have done, you know, there's been actual studies that that's a that's a real thing. You know, that's like a physiological um, condition <laughs> that you will your unconscious mind will work on things. And when you can get your conscious mind out of the way, um, you, you'll find solutions to things. Yeah. Um, it, what is being a professional musician taught you about grit and persistence? And what have been some of the low points in all of this for you? And how did you pull out of them? Oh boy, how much time do we have? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it taught me a, a couple things. Uh, I mean, m- my sister, who's a, a poet um, and a creator herself, and I, I think she came up with this, said that, you know, like art is basically a, a battle of attrition, <laughs> which is you just have to stay in it and stay in it. And um, as long as you don't quit making it, as long as you persist, you're still in the game. Um, and all sorts of things can cause you to to want to quit doing it, you know, from from creative things to practical to life things. So um, I think it, it, you know, once I locked into the fact that I wanted to do this for life in some form and that I was in control of at least doing the creative part, um, which is the part that I get the most out of, that was kind of like a, a burden uh, off of, you know, a, a perspective that allowed me to lift kind of a goal oriented burden that gets in the way I think of a lot of musicians in general mm-hmm. um, or certain like milestones that you think you have to hit at a certain point in your career or, you know, maybe this is most important. Like what, you know, being a musician today is a lot, looks a lot different um, for everybody than it did even like 10 years ago, you know, or for certainly when I was like thinking about becoming a musician in high school, um, you know, that's, that's pre pre internet as the major player in it. Like how do you, you know, you have to be flexible and be ready for your career in music or arts or anything to um, to look different as you go through it. As, as long as you stay in it, it's actually kind of a good sign if it changes for you. That means you're you're still in it for for long periods of time. Um, so uh, you know, you're going to go through highs and lows. And for me, you know, the lows have been, um, you know, I I. I I signed a kind of a small record deal um, with with a band I was in in uh, a couple years ago, and it didn't it just didn't go the way that I wanted it to go. Um, there wasn't really anything particularly wrong; it just didn't play out the way I had hoped it would. Um, and that was kind of the end, or um, it broke a lot of momentum in the project I was in at the time, and it kind of forced me to reassess how I was going about music. And at the time, it was 
it was like really, really demoralizing because I had a different picture in my head for, for what the result was going to be. Um, but you know, it, it played out, uh, okay in the end because it forced me to, to really drill down and analyze how I was trying to succeed and whether that was the smartest way to succeed, mm-hmm. uh, for me. Um, and, you know, creatively the low points are, well, as a, as a writer, you know, they're the dark days when it's not coming out right. And it feels like it will never come out right. And then you're, you're not sure if it did come out right. Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's an up and down, uh, that's an up and down process that, that I feel like you just have to kind of set aside on a day to day basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, a big part of my music career has been this, uh, traveling performance I do of Homer's Odyssey and, and I stopped doing it, um, in the late, like, 2006 to 2010 because I thought it was a dead end for me. Um, and I was also at a kind of a weird place personally where I couldn't, um, pursue it. And so I think that I kind of feel was a, was a, was a dark day for me because I had very little confidence around it. I couldn't see a way forward with it. Um, and that may have had to do more with me personally than the actual project, Mm -hmm. but I don't, I don't look back on that time. Um, finally, other than the fact that I came out the other end, um, and have made it happen in a different way after that. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. 
United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Have you learned to detach from uh, creative outcomes uh, as a byproduct of this experience? Uh, tried to. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, it's so funny because you like you can, it's so much easier said than done. Yeah. I know, I'm sure <laughs> you know that. Um, but like I had this experience uh, where I was touring behind a, a solo record I put out in 2015 and it was um, it's this EP called Record of Life. And it was my first kind of attempt to do kind of the production side myself. And it was a, a real true solo record. And it got, at, at least based on what I'd experienced up to then, it got like the best response, both kind of in a commercial way, but also just in this um, anecdotal, personal way of how people were responding to it. And I was out doing some some touring and the touring was not... Actually, that's another low point. Um, it just was not unfolding in a way that I thought it would. And I, it was not unfolding in a way that I thought represented the material that I was trying to play. And that was a combination of maybe poor planning on my part and some expectations. Um, but I, as I was driving between um, a couple of underwhelming gigs, um, uh, I, ha I had a creative impulse where I realized what I wanted to write to follow up this project. And... I mean, you know, when that lightning strikes, it's like that's that's an amazing moment when there was no idea before. And then suddenly there's this idea and it makes so much sense to you. And you're just you know that if it fulfills like, you know, every part of, of what you want to do, both creatively and professionally. And so I was really excited about it. And I checked into some uh, I mean, I think if it was a red roof in, it was probably that's pretty charitable. <laughs> it was not a particularly nice hotel that I was staying in. And I wrote you know, almost in one sitting, this, this song that became the first song of the, the project that followed Record of Life, which is called Record of Loss. And I mean, you know, that, that creative high, incredible. And so I went to my gig that night, uh, which was in Columbus, Ohio. Um, I don't have anything against Columbus, Ohio. Uh, but it was not a, it just wasn't, I could feel when I walked in, it was not going to be a, a fulfilling gig. And so you know, there I am demoralized again because I've just had this creative high and now I'm chasing it with this kind of practical low. Um, and I'm sitting at the bar and there's, you know, maybe five people in the bar and um, I know I have to get up and perform and I'm scrolling through my form or my phone, excuse me. And I see that uh, KCRW, which is a big radio station in LA, uh, actually played one of the songs off the record, Record of Life. And that's like, a really big deal because they're one, like one of the biggest trend setting, you know, indie music stations in the country. 
And, you know, so there, there the endorphins go again and, and I'm elated. And, and I took a step back and I was like, look at what just happened to you in the last like four hours. You know, you had creative fulfillment, you had practical despair, and then you had like this outside reinforcement that raised your spirits again, but it's just outside affirmation, you know, to your point about focusing on, on results. It's like, what really, what was the highest high of that? And the highest high was this song that I wrote in this hotel room that I knew was great. So I kind of, I, I keep that in mind when I'm too high or too low about um, outcomes and outside um, input and things like that, because that's really, that's really what matters to me. That's why, you know, that is why I create and that's why I do it. Uh, wow. Um, what is the, what is the process for your work look like? Like, how does it come together? I mean, you kind of gave us a little glimpse into it. I'm curious, you know, how do you go from idea to actually being, you know, in front of an audience performing? Yeah. Um, you know, every, every song kind of has a, has a different, um, a different timeline, but for me at least, I, I almost always write with a guitar in my hands and, um, I'm most comfortable on the guitar as a writing tool cause I've been doing it for so long. Uh-huh. Uh, most of the music I dig is, you know, I think largely guitar based. Um, but I, I sort of dissociate from, from the, the, the intellectual part of playing and I just kind of let my fingers wander around until they grab something that grabs my ear, um, kind of comes from outside of my ear. And when I lock into something um, that grabs me, then I'll start to develop a little bit musically. And I'll see if maybe there's a kind of an underlying structure or chord pattern that I can um, that I can work around, that I can sense. And so I'm like a music first guy and, the, and then lyrics generally. And the last couple of years I, I write usually with like a particular project or a group of songs in mind. So, so lyrically, there's usually like a kind of a structure or an agenda, or I'm writing with a, with a theme already. Um, and sometimes the lyrics come out uh, really quickly, and my instincts are correct. And sometimes they don't come out quickly at all. And in several months later, I'm still, un, you know, dissatisfied with with a couple lines here or there. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to be the type of person that wrote like two or three songs to get one that I felt comfortable recording and bringing in front of people. Yeah. But that's um, that's come down a little bit the last couple of years. I've, I've, I've kind of become a less volume writer and a little bit more like I kind of know now, I think, right off the bat, if the song is worth chasing all the way to its end. Uh-huh. Um, and then it, at, at least for me, you know, I, I usually start thinking about uh, how I'm going to how I'm going to fix it, how I'm going to uh, fix it rather and record it. Um, and then, it, you know at the point after that is when I'll actually bring it in front of people and perform it. And, you know, then there's a whole process of how do you represent, uh, how, what form does it take in front of people versus what form does it take when it's recorded? Cause those can be, you know, there's some people that will try to represent a song exactly as it's recorded in front of an audience. But I tend to like try to explore different ways to bring that song and that song form, um, to life and embrace kind of the, the specifics of, of a performance situation versus a recording situation. So this might be a very unusual request, but do you happen to have a guitar by you? Oh man. Uh, I, I do it another place in my house. I should have brought one up. Uh, do you want me to go grab it? Yes, I do. Um, so this is, uh, this is the beginning. And I'll sing a little bit too, if that's cool. Sure. Um, this is the beginning of a song called gray, which was kind of a, a life changing song that I wrote that bridge the gap between, um, you know, working with more with the band and doing a little bit more on my own. So I'll play you the first verse in the first chorus, maybe. Is that cool? Yeah. Well, up and down the stairs we went, 
McRae of a winter that wouldn't end An old black dog, bad hips and a cough Some days we'd have to carry him the last flight Oh Flashback to April of 01 I got him from the pound when he was young My ex-wife was there as I put him in the car But he was always mine right from the start He kept me in line When things were tough He was there all the time Now he's gray and can't hear a thing But I'll carry him up those stairs Again and again Well how do we say goodbye When we have the chance To write the last words Of a precious life Oh, Well how do we know When to say goodbye that work yeah that was very cool um cool which actually i think really makes a nice segue into a question i have how much of of your music and your material is uh inspired by your real life uh well now uh, pretty much all of it <laughs> could you tell <laughs> yeah absolutely uh, uh, um you know I, I made a transition uh after after this record deal kind of fell through and, and i started running into kind of a logistical dead ends with being with having a band and making music in a band setting because it it's just it's really expensive to take four people on the road yeah. <laughs> to tour and i was i was looking at what it would cost to do that which is still a thing you you really need to do to sell your music and i just thought like you know maybe if we were all 20 or 21 maybe uh-huh. um but you know most of us have mortgages now and, and kids and families at least the group of musicians that i play with and it just, it, it looked unsustainable to me. Um, and so I, I tried to figure out what type of music I could represent by myself, um, you know, represent really well. And um, I hit upon this kind of autobiographical storytelling, uh, really detailed narrative storytelling that turned into Record of Life. And it really, it was kicked off with that song that I just played for you, Gray. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I kind of carried it through this, this release that came out uh, this month, Record of Loss. And I'm finishing it up with an album called uh, Record of Love, which is going to come out in September uh, this year. And then all three of these uh, six song EPs are going to come out as a double vinyl collection at that time on actual records. So um, I did, for at least the last couple of years, create um, incredibly autobiographical um, music that I hope has an arc and that I hope, you know, what, what I discovered was that in disclosing details, um, it creates vulnerability and people are able to kind of find their own way into your stories. If you're writing about things that happen to everybody, like, um, like loss, like losing family members um, or, or love or, um, you know, your friends from high school or whatever it is, if you can write about common human experiences, um, you know, some people say, uh, you know, write your lyrics as broadly as possible so people can hear whatever they want. But what I found, at least for me, is that I've had more success being very specific and creating vulnerability and specificity around that. And then people will do their own work. You know, if you're writing about your your grandparents who are sick, um, you know, everybody has had grandparents who are sick or, you know, family members. So it's a, it was a real revelation to me um, and really encouraging. Wow. 
So I, I'm curious, um, walk me through sort of the, the journey from, you know, paralegal to transitioning into a full-time professional musician. And I'm very curious about what the experience of touring, especially when, you know, some of your touring involves living room performances, uh, looks like nowadays. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I, I worked as a paralegal, um, somewhat part-time, uh, most, mostly part-time, uh, for like the last eight years, but really for like almost 10 years, um, after college. And I, I had a good situation in that, uh, my boss allowed me to do, to work part-time and pursue some music on the side. Um, so I kind of had this long period to where I wasn't leaning on music solely for my income. And I also had this job that had, a, you know, I had a, a 401k and I had health insurance as long as I'd worked like 15 hours a week or something like that. It was a, it was a really good situation. It really allowed me um, time to get my feet under me. Um, the downside of that is you can get a little bit too comfortable and you can start to just lean on this um, more secure side of, of your life and not take risks in the side of your life that you need to take risks and not like fully engage your your soul and your um your energy in that thing um so uh towards the end of 2009 um through a couple of circumstances i got the opportunity to do some guitar teaching here in, in chicago in the city kind of out of the blue um and my wife and i sat down and i said and we looked at the finances and we said like how much money do you have to make doing this teaching thing uh where you can keep a guitar in your hands so that you can fully just wake up every day and dedicate yourself in some measure to music. And uh, we, we kind of figured out a way to make it work and we kind of came up with basically like a five-year plan on it. Um, and, and then I just went for it <laughs> and walked away from that job. And so I did, at the beginning I did a lot more heavily on teaching uh, private guitar lessons because, um, and I'm really lucky in that way in that some people uh, don't like to teach and I really like to teach both um, because I, I enjoy it. And also I think it, it kind of keeps me honest as a musician and it forces me to think like a beginner almost all the time. Mm -hmm. And also to, to, um, it keeps the spirit alive a little bit to watch beginners, like start to get it and to watch how much people want to be, you know, how much people want music and to be able to play it. It really, um, it really makes me appreciate like what I have, you know, in, in terms of how hard I've worked and, and, um, whatever natural gifts I have for it. It's something people want. And if you have it and you worked at it, you should, you know, you should be appreciative of that. And that's, so that's what kind of teaching uh, did at the beginning and still does for me because when uh, I'm not touring or playing shows, I, I still teach uh, as much as my schedule allows um, as a way to keep steady income. And also, you know, for those reasons. Um, uh, and so then uh, once I walked away from the paralegal job, I had to kind of assess what assets I had in my musical catalog and what was working and what wasn't. So I, um, I kind of attacked it in three different ways. Um, I had, I had written this record that I released under the band name paper arrows, um, which, which did okay. And people seemed to like, and we did some shows and it got some attention. Um, the project got some attention on college radio and I was able to license some of that music to some shows on MTV uh, and E Network. So I saw that there was like a, you know, there was a way to, to make a little bit of money with music um, through licensing to at least get something coming in. 
Um, and then the biggest thing uh, was this project I'd written, which was a kind of a, a modern musical interpretation of Homer's Odyssey, believe it or not, that I found a, a, a lot more interest and excitement than I thought I would for um, in starting out in high schools and then also um, developing into colleges um, who bring me in to play this 30 minute version of Homer's Odyssey and then lead discussions around it and around Greek culture and Greek literature and oral tradition. And I was, I, I knew I had this thing cause I'd written it and I'd done some work with it, but, um, it really turned into this sustainable, um, touring income that, that a lot of musicians, you know, it's what you look for as a musician. So most of the touring I do, um, that's not, you know, that's traveling is around this Odyssey show. Um, and that can be done in an auditorium, in a classroom, in a living room. I mean, just about anywhere. Uh, but it really it gave me this model for then when I switched over from this band format to, to a more personal solo format to try to emulate, you know, the successes that I had with that. Mm-hmm. What's it like to go from being on a stage in front of, you know, a, a big giant room, you know, massive audience to, you know, the intimacy of a living room. Cause I know I've heard about the living room tours and I've heard, you know, of big, like really big known bands that have started doing it at moments. And yeah. I, I always wonder, you know, like, <clears throat> what is that like? Cause I, you may have seen, there's a, a really interesting documentary on Netflix, uh, about, uh, the, the band journey. And it's uh, about, a, a, a karaoke singer in Manila. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Arnel Pineda. Who sounds exactly like him, which is incredible. <laughs> yeah. And so he ends up becoming the lead singer for Journey. It's an amazing yeah. documentary, but I, I'm curious, what is the, what, it, what I mean, what is the, the experience viscerally like to go from like the, the sort of, you know, spotlight to being in a living room? Yeah, well, it's, I mean, I, I think the smaller the show, the more intimate, the, the kind of scarier or the more intense it is. So like I've, you know, performed in front of 800 people and that's, that's, all, that's kind of anonymous. Like you can't, just focus on one person when there's that many faces mm-hmm. and the room's big, but when, you know, so you can't really, you can't maybe even can't see the whole room at once. Um, but, but when you're in, uh, say like, um, a living room with 12 people and they're sitting five feet away and you're unamplified, you know, you're not even going through a microphone. Um, and they're all paying attention and you can see that they're all paying attention. Yeah. Um, for me at least it's, I mean the, 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 you would think that being in a bigger room in front of more people would be more, you know, quote unquote intense. But for this, to, for me, the smaller and the more intimate the audience, the, the, the more intense it is. Um, and, and the more, um, the more kind of, I don't want to say nervous. It is, it's nerve wracking. It's more nerve wracking with a small audience in a small setting. Yeah. You mentioned the people that you teach and, and something about that really struck me, this notion of, of when somebody gets it. I can only imagine that feeling. It kind of takes me back to, you know, being in, in high school when, you know, you'd play, you get a measure and you're like, oh, my God, I've been struggling with that forever and I finally got it. What What is it that um, your students who seem to continually thrive have in common? Um, well, a great teacher. No, <laughs> uh, I mean, it goes back to the persistence yeah. um, and it goes back to also like um, helping them set like an agenda, mm-hmm. a realistic agenda. And that's not to say that the agenda can't change, but like people get into music for different reasons. And sometimes it's as a way to just kind of work their brain and to have, um, you know, some structure. And it's really like less about the music and more about the discipline. Sometimes it's as a way to connect socially or even just as a way to, 
you know, connect with a teacher like me and, you know, almost to have a friend through music. Um, for adults, sometimes it's as a release, um, you know, from a really intense job or to kind of come back and pursue a, a childhood dream. And so um, the, the best way to, I think, for a student to be set up for success is if you can identify that thing, the reason that they're attracted to it and help them work towards it. Mm-hmm. So it, it may be different, you know, for every student, but if you can help get them, you know, that thing that scratches the itch, it's self-reinforcing at that point. And they're going to keep doing it and they're going to create that repetition that we were talking about. Yeah. Well, I, I remember, uh, you know, talking to, to one of our business partners, King Shook, and I was like, man, I'm like, there's, you know, nothing I'd rather, you know, be able to do with a guitar than, you know, play the, the opening guitar riff to Sweet Child of Mine. He's like, somebody <laughs> yeah. can teach you that. He's like, I could teach you that. Yeah. They're going to do it. I, it's on my list. I, I should actually put that on my list of things I need to do before I turn forty. You know what you should do? You should do. You should learn the guitar. But you should also play it on the tuba because that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, you know, I met Slash once uh, at, you, at a table. You, no way. Of. Uh, uh, a family guy, one of our listeners uh, is is a sound engineer for Family Guy. So I met Slash, and I was thinking, yeah, he'd probably be horrified to hear that on the tuba. Oh my gosh! So he, you know, I I brought up Twisted Sister, but like the first album that I learned how to play um, cover to cover was was Appetite for Destruction. It's wow. it's still the most moving. You know, it's still maybe the most like single important from a playing standpoint album. Uh, you know, in in my in my history. So that's pretty awesome. Was he, was he like fully decked out when you met him? He was, he was pretty decked out. Like I have a picture of me and him on Instagram. It was a pretty funny picture. He's apparently a big fan of the show. So he just happened to be at the table reading. Oh, that's fantastic. That's so cool. Yeah. That's, that's, I I may actually have to hit you up to to teach me how to do that at at some point between now and my 40th birthday. Absolutely. Um, it's, I, I think it's, you know, it's a worthwhile pursuit whenever you get there, if it's 40 or 50 or 60, yeah. just like that song's still going to be a classic and it's still going to be worth, worth learning whenever. So, yeah. well, I, I think that makes a really fitting end to what has been a very fascinating conversation. I mean, you've sparked a lot of really interesting ideas for me, which I, I always appreciate. So, um, I have one last question, which I know you've heard me ask since you listened to the show, what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I, I'm always so impressed with how people answer this. Um, and you know, <laughs> Like, uh, you'd think with this much time to think about it, I'd have something. Um, but, uh, you know, I think at least for me, what makes something unmistakable, um, is that I get the feeling that it connects to, um, some part of human existence, some kind of common humanity, mm-hmm. um, that is, you know, almost sub language, which is maybe why I'm having a hard time describing it. Um, but that could be, you know, a piece of art that could be, um, a business idea. Um, but th- this real sense that, that whoever's creating it or involved in it has, has tapped into something that's kind of at the, at the core of, of being, you know, a human being. Um, I think that's what I react to. Um, when I, when I think of the word unmistakable. Mm. Wow. Well, I think that makes a beautiful way to end our conversation. Where can people learn more about you and your music? Um, so many websites. Um, so you can go to just joegoodkin.com, which is J O E G O O D K I N.com. Um, regarding the, uh, my Homer's Odyssey project, that's joesodyssey.com, which is J O E S O D Y S S E Y.com. And then, uh, the band project that I referenced, uh, Paper Arrows, uh, we, we have five records out there. And that's just paperarrows.com. Uh, so those are, and of course, we're all over, you know, um, Spotify and, and iTunes and social media where you can actually hear uh, what we do. 
Awesome. Well, this has been absolutely fantastic. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.